Well, if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me over to the book of Isaiah chapter 8. This is our last in our series, Trojan Horses in the Church today. And today we are talking about something that you may not know from, by name, or you may not know anything about it because you're not involved in it, which is a good thing. But there is a name for it, and there's many things within it, but the name of it I'm giving you today is called Contemplative Theology. Contemplative or Contemplative Spirituality. Either way, however you want to put it. This is something that is very, very popular and is getting more popular as time goes on. It is a false teaching, but for some reason, because people want to grow spiritually, they are drawn to this, and I think it's a demonic drawing to this theology because it's not a biblical one. It's full of problems, which we will look at five major dangers of it today. Contemplative spirituality or contemplative theology. Theology would be the teaching about it, the spirituality. That's probably a better name. But in Isaiah 8, verse 20, it says this, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Notice what Isaiah said. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. This is what the Bible declares. The Bible is the standard. You're going to hear me say that over and over today in this message. It isn't that uh, I forgot that I said it. It's that you need to get it really burned into your mind that the Bible is the standard for faith and practice. Many churches have that in their doctrinal statement. The Bible is our standard for faith and practice. Yet they've got all kinds of false doctrine going on in their church and teaching false things. Now, we have covered several Trojan horses in this series already, putting myself out on the limb right now. Hopefully I can remember them all. You might say, what do you mean? You're the one who preached them. Yeah, I get that, okay? But when you've preached thousands of messages, it can be rough, right? The first one we covered was what's called Calvinism. That's a Trojan horse. The second one would be Lordship Salvation, which stems out of Calvinism. Third one would have been corrupt Bible translations. Yes, there are Bible translations that are corrupt, that lead people astray. That's very dangerous. The fourth one would have been study Bibles and commentaries. Again, not everything in them is wrong, okay, but definitely there are ones that are propagating that which is false, and so you need to be careful, careful. The fifth one we covered last week, hey, not bad, I'm getting them all. The fifth one we covered last week was music, that certain types of music and lyrics can come into the church. They're given a green light, and they teach people false things, false ideas, or produce in them attitudes that are destructive to the church and to their lives. Well, today we're talking about contemplative spirituality. The rise of contemplative spirituality is certainly a sign of the last days, now, something that is akin, almost synonymous with this idea of contemplative spirituality, there is a movement that's been going on for years, and it is gaining steam, especially in the Bible colleges and seminaries, and it is called the spiritual formation movement. The spiritual formation movement. It is also part of the emergent church. Contemplative spirituality is foundational to the one world religion, which is coming very soon. It's all part of it. It's all being used that way. You'll see that today as we go on. 
It is a form of theological liberalism. Do you remember in the old days, those of us who have gray hair, you can remember bad churches were called liberal. Remember that? Now they're called emergent. Same poison, just a different label, but it's really, it ends up being the same stuff. It is a form of theological liberalism, but much broader than that. It is a concoction of false ideas from many different spiritual viewpoints and religions brought together in a very appealing, mysterious way. And here you go, folks, and you'll hear me say that many times today, it is focused on experience and not on objective truth. It is focused on experience and not on objective truth. In other words, this is a serious problem because when you throw out any standard by which things can be measured, whether they are true and false, then you've opened the doors to everything that you can imagine. Now, I'm going to be quoting from several different websites today. I'm not telling you which ones they are. If you, if you want to know, you can get a hold of me. But simply because when I quote from one, somebody always emails me and tells me, well, don't you know that that site teaches this and that and all that? Yes, I know that. I don't know of any perfect websites, but I'm not going to tell you where I'm getting my information. But if you really have to know, you can let me know. But I hope you don't ask. Okay, (laughs) save me the time. Here's what one of them says, quote, and I'm quoting. And the reason I'm quoting from the websites is to let you know I'm not a plagiarist. I'm not making this up or using somebody else's material. I'm quoting from somebody else. You get that? Now, some of the material I'm going to give you today certainly is mine, but others it's quoted from people who have done more research in this realm, but I found their research to be accurate. So here's what one says, quote, contemplative spirituality encourages the pursuit of a mystical experience with God. Mysticism is the belief that knowledge of God, spiritual truth, and ultimate reality can be gained through subjective experience. Now, folks, you can open yourself up to all kinds of demonic influences with that kind of a mentality. But that is gaining popularity today, gaining popularity. In other words, this is me talking, in other words, the truths of Scripture now are no longer enough Whenever a person does this, whenever a person believes that, you know what, I've got to go out, I'm not satisfied with Scripture. I've got to go outside of Scripture to find my experience, my walk with God. They end up turning away from the Scriptures to some extent. Now, did you catch that? Let me illustrate it. Here's our standard for faith and practice. Okay, the Bible says it is sufficient. That's what the Bible teaches about. What we need to know about God, we find it in Scripture. That is the standard. That's our foundation right there. Now, yes, we build our lives on it, but it's always anchored back, chained, kept in check to the Word of God. But when people say, you know what, I want something more than this, this is what they're doing. Do you understand? You might say, well, you haven't turned your back on it. No, but I've turned away some, and I'm on my way to turning my back. Because to get from here to here, I can't put this behind me, but you got the idea. I've got to go through that departure. By the way, that's called apostasy. Look with me to John chapter 12. Again, whenever a person does this, they're turning away from the scriptures to some extent. But Jesus said his word is enough 
whereby we can discern what is right, what is wrong. His word is the standard by which we will judge all things, regardless of how popular a movement is. And this is very, very popular. John chapter 12 and verse 47, Jesus said, and if any man hear my words and believe not, you don't believe what I say, I judge him not for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. His mission was to save the world. And by the way, who did he come to save? The world. Who does that include? It includes everybody. Okay. John three sixteen means exactly what it says. Verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him, the word that I have spoken, I have spoken, past tense, the same shall judge him in the last day. You notice the standard for truth is the word of God. This book is the standard of truth. If you wonder someday, well, this, this way I'm living, who's to say whether it's right or wrong? You can find out right here. And this will be one day when we stand before God, this is the standard by which all things are judged. You don't have to guess on it. It's not subjective. It's objective. It's objective. Now, yes, God will judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. I understand that. But it's all based on his truth. Now, people will look at Jesus and they'll say, well, you know, but doesn't the Bible say things like be still and know that I am God? That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Yes, we ought to slow down. Yes, we ought to stop. Yes, we ought to spend devoted, separated time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. We're for that. That's part of the Christian life. By the way, we're going to talk about prayer in just a few minutes. But Jesus here in John 12, he could not have been referring to some mystical communication that was going to be ongoing because he spoke of it as something that he had already done and that the standard is already set, the word of God. He was referring to the scriptures and what would become the scriptures of the New Testament. That would be what we would be judged by. Turn with me to Jude. It's right before Revelation. It's probably like one page in your Bible, maybe two. The standard of truth, the tool God has given us to know him, the door through which we know the Lord is through the scripture. Everything else comes after that. Everything else comes after that. Jude 1 verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, that's anything the word of God says clearly, which was once delivered unto the saints. Do you see that? The faith has been once delivered to the saints. The faith is found in this book. This is the standard. This is the faith. Okay? It is not your experience. It is not something you do that makes you feel warm or close to God. It is the word of God. Feelings follow truth. Feelings do not determine truth. Another source said this, and I quote, contemplative techniques have divorced the practitioner from the objective word of God, leading one into a subjective arena of the imagination and feelings. By the way, this is what people like Richard Foster, who wrote a multi-million dollar bestseller called Celebration of Discipline, he's one of the modern leaders in the contemplative 
spirituality movement. And also, more lately, and probably everybody in here has heard of her, Sarah Young, who wrote Jesus Calling, that is what they're promoting. They're promoting this type of spirituality. Now, listen, you may have read those books, and I'm not saying we're going to mark you and you're an enemy or anything like that, because you probably read them, you're curious. I'm just telling you, folks, there's stuff in those books that's dangerous. See, it gives you a supplement to the scriptures for your spiritual life. That's dangerous. That's cultic. All the cults do that. They've got extra biblical revelation. You might say, well, uh, well but I, I don't have another book. No, but you've got another standard that you're living by. That's extra biblical revelation. Instead of holding to the revelation that God has given you. Now, why is contemplative spirituality a Trojan horse? In other words, why is it dangerous? Well, I've already covered at least one of them, but let me give you five reasons today. Number one is this. It is dangerous because it elevates personal experience to the same level as Scripture. It is dangerous because it elevates personal experience to the same level as Scripture. Years ago, when the charismatic movement exploded, and you know, we, we stood, we've always stood on the Word of God, and we stood and we said, no, what's going on today? The charismatic movement of today is not, the tongues they have is not biblical tongues, and we've given so many messages and covered verse by verse all the passage having, having to do with that. And yet people say, I don't care what you say, I know what I've experienced. Do you see the problem there? Friend, if what we're saying is true, what you've experienced is not. You don't judge truth or determine truth by what you've experienced. I don't doubt that people have a warm experience sometimes with something, or, or they're you know, crying out to God, and all of a sudden they have this experience with God. I don't doubt that happens. I'm not doubting the experience. I'm just doubting the source of the experience. There's a difference. And if something doesn't line up with Scripture, don't call it scriptural. It's not scriptural. It's a counterfeit. It is dangerous because it elevates personal experience to the same level as Scripture. All of this is designed to get people to depart from the Bible as the only source of truth. Once you do this, who is to say what is true and what isn't true? By the way, that has always been part of Satan's strategy, is to get us to depart from Scripture. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do you see why uh, something like this goes hand in hand with the world in which we live today, which they say, well, everything's relative? Or, you know, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. All this kind of thinking that's going on, and you hear it. You hear it when you have talks with people. Well, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. And you talk to him, you share the gospel, and you say, well, I don't know if I believe that, but I'm, uh, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? I bet you they're some way tangled up in this stuff for somebody to say that. And not only that, but you'll find people who have, who have gone to Bible-believing churches who have dropped out, who are into this stuff now. And the reason they dropped out, even though they probably won't admit it, they dropped out because they kept running up against this thing. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says, after a while, you don't want to hear it anymore. If you're set on error, you will leave the truth. That's just the way it is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. You might say, well, pastor, I I agree with that. Yeah, but you know what, folks? Here's the point. Those involved in contemplative spirituality, they think more than scriptures given by inspiration of God. They believe the experiences they're having with God are just as true as scripture. Just as true. You better watch out. Many people who start going down that path end up in all kinds of weird occult practices. And that is just a matter of fact. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Watch this. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God, okay, obviously it includes women, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You notice what will Scripture do for us? Everything we need to be done for us. So then why are we going outside of Scripture trying to find some supplement to the Bible when God says the Bible is the safe place? The Bible is the true place. Look with me to John 17. You know, you'll hear people, well, you know, that's true. I got saved, but you know, I want more. I want a deeper walk. I want a deeper walk with the Lord. This is how a lot of people get into this. Well, I think a good place to go is to Jesus. I think he can have a good say about this, don't you? Are you ready? John 17, 17. I just love the way the word of God is. So clear and brief and to the point. Sanctify them through thy truth. Lord, set them apart. Lord, Father, make them holy. Make them godly. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He was not talking about something coming and that we we get to through some mystical experience, friends. He was talking about the scripture. The Bible is the standard, the canon, the measuring stick for truth. Satan always wants to add to or take away from what God says. He wants to elevate something else to the level of Scripture. Now, part of contemplative spirituality is something called contemplative prayer. And you've probably heard of that. One website says this, and I quote, it is important first to define contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is not just contemplating while you pray. In other words, thinking while you pray. And by the way, that's a good thing to do. Contemplative prayer begins with centering prayer. Centering prayer. If you hear that term, run. Okay? A meditative practice where the practitioner focuses on a word and repeats that word over and over for the duration of the exercise. The purpose is to clear one's mind of outside concerns, watch this, so that God's voice may be more easily heard. No. The cults are involved in that. The occult is involved in that. Buddhists are involved in this. Eastern mysticism is involved in this. These are common practices from them. Nowhere in Scripture does it say clear your mind. It says fill your mind with Scripture. I'm just saying, folks, we need to compare what's being taught and what's being experienced to the standard, which is the Scripture. I continue to quote, after the centering prayer, the practitioner is to sit still, 
listen for direct guidance from God and feel his presence, unquote. See, here's the truth. This concept does not follow the biblical pattern of prayer. If you're going to say, okay, this is how you pray, let's do this. Okay, let's take what you're saying and let's compare it to what the Bible says about prayer. Fair enough? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that how we're supposed to live? Yes. Do you know what? Contemplative prayer does not fit the pattern of Scripture. It is one thing to pray for God's leading, and then as time goes on, you have thoughts that come to you grounded and based on the principles of Scripture within the bounds and boundaries of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. We all experience that, I believe. But this is not a literal, and when I say literal, I mean literal. Because this is what this contemplative prayer and listening prayer, they're related, sometimes synonymous, is about. It is not a literal, true biblical prayer is not a literal two-way conversation between you and God. It's not literal. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that I am talking to God and he literally is talking back to me. I'm hearing his voice. We're having a conversation. It isn't I'm praying, I leave my request at the throne of grace, which is biblical. It isn't I'm making my request known to God, which is biblical, Philippians 4. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is what they're talking about is this. You get in a state of mind to where you are there, you start talking to God, and he is talking to you. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's not biblical, folks. As a matter of fact, it's dangerous. Listening prayer, same kind of idea. I quote again. The idea of listening prayer is to spend some time talking to the Lord and the rest of the time listening to his response. Or sometimes the listening comes first and the prayer comes second. Listening prayer is based on the concept of prayer as a two-way communication. We talk, God talks. You mean, what do you mean God talks? Just like you talk, he talks back to you. You literally have gone into a state where literally God is talking to you and you are talking to God. I quote, but going beyond what scripture says is what listening prayer is is really about. The practitioner of listening prayer seeks, quote, new revelation from God on a daily basis and about the most mundane things. Things such as, don't eat sushi today, follow the man with the red scarf, withdraw your money from the bank, etc. That God is literally talking to you and telling you what to do. Listening prayer involves receiving inspiration from the Holy Spirit and new specific messages from God, unquote. Goes on, to practice listening prayer, people are told to clear their minds, something the Bible never tells us to do, and spend concentrated time listening for God's voice. The divine message may come through images in their minds, through words, through ideas, through physical sensations, or through gut feelings. The goal of listening prayer is to quote-unquote, think God's thoughts with him, discover God's specific truth, and receive new revelation, unquote. This is what they say it is. 
So you're going and you're wanting to receive new revelation from God. There is no new revelation from God. Okay? There is illumination. What is that? It's that I understand something in the word that I never understood before. But the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. And if you're getting new revelation from God, it's not from God because he's not giving new revelation. They go on. This type of subjectivity bypasses the objective. Written word of God as our sole rule for faith and practice. The passive receptivity of listening prayer has more to do with new age and occult practices than with biblical prayer, unquote. I could not agree more. Now, let me say this today. I don't know who's thinking what or what you're involved in. Each and every one of you, you have your own lives, okay? But I can tell you this, and I'm here to warn you about how dangerous this is today, folks. You start going down this track, you are opening yourself up to the mystical and to a very mysterious and could end up very dark for you where you are now so into this, so attracted to this, where the scriptures don't satisfy you anymore. You've got to go deeper than the Bible. By the way, these people, uh, the ones who are believers who get involved in this, that is their mentality. Well, I've gone deeper. My life was shallow. Well, there's lots of reasons for a shallow Christian life, and it's not complicated. That's another message for another time. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter 4. Turn there with me. The new age is into all this exact same stuff. The occult is into this. Buddhism is into this. Hinduism is into this. And now it's come into the church. And by the way, it's been here, but it's getting more and more popular. That, by the way, is not an accident that it's becoming more and more popular because we are living in the day of apostasy. Jesus told us the last days would be days of apostasy. That means you, you go away from the truth of the scripture. And that's the days in which we live. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus was being tempted by Satan. And what does he do? He answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What was Jesus referring to? He was not referring to some mystical experience. He was referring to the word of God because he said it is written, not it was felt or it was experienced. It was written. Now, if the Son of God says that's the way we ought to respond, I think that's the way we ought to respond. Number two, it's dangerous because lost people are doing it and claiming they are having a relationship with God through it. Lost people. Lost people do not have a relationship with the God of the Bible. They're his creation. They're not his children until they trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Then they become his children. Their God is telling them at times things that are not true biblically. Now, how do you know what is true and false? There's only one way. Again, it's, isn't it interesting this keeps coming back to the Scripture? Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How do you know a lost person doesn't have a relationship with God? Well, I, because they're not children of God. But let me tell you something else, friend. A lost person cannot understand the deeper truths of Scripture. Well, they can understand the gospel because that's the power of God into salvation, okay, to everyone who believes. 
Romans 1, 16. But 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says the natural man, that's the lost man, it's not, it's not a guy who only eats organic food, okay? I'm a natural man. I don't wear shoes. I don't use manufactured soap. You know, I only buy it fresh time or something. No, no, that's not the natural man. Here it's referring to the lost man, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. In other words, you have to be born again. You have to be a child of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you before you can understand the Scriptures. Number three, I want you to listen up. It's dangerous because it is being promoted by those who are seen as leaders in the so-called Christian community. Rick Warren promotes it. Rick Warren promotes it. You know, purpose-driven life. Beth Moore, Southern Baptist, used to be, I think she left the Southern Baptist Convention recently. Side note, I saw a little video clip of her talking about an encounter she had with somebody, and it was this very thing where God was talking to her, telling her, messaging her, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She's having a conversation with God. Rick Warren, Beth Moore, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, which is not a Bible. It's a pathetic work. I'm sorry, nothing against the man personally. I don't know him. It is a pathetic work. It should not even be in a Bible bookstore. If you want to put it under category like Christian fiction, you could do that. Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife. Philip Yancey has written lots of things in the past. Liberty University is having seminars, Liberty University, on this issue of contemplative spirituality. It's a big deal at Liberty. InterVarsity Press is drowning in this, which is no surprise because they've always been liberal to some extent. Many Bible colleges, even churches, are getting involved in this. Now, how are they getting involved in this? Listen to me. They're getting involved in this through small groups that have no accountability and through Sunday school classes, where in their Sunday school classes, instead of having a teacher who teaches the Scripture, what they do is they find a book, and I'm not saying you can't do this, I'm not saying it's bad, but they find a book and they make that book the focus of the study. Now, if it's a sound, theologically sound book, that's one thing. But just to pick one up because it's a popular book or wham, this one's number one on the Christian best. Listen, if something is popular, it's a book and it's popular in the Christian community, you probably ought to stay away from it. Why? Because the truth is not going to be popular. Now, I know that goes cross-grain to much of what's going on today, and people may watch us and say, or you might be here today and say, this guy's a weirdo. Well, I may be nuts, but I'm screwed to the right bolt. Okay, Rick Warren, Beth Moore, Eugene Peterson, Kay Warren, Philip Yancey, Liberty University, University Press, many Bible colleges and even churches are getting involved in this through small group Sunday school. Now, listen carefully. Much of what is going on today this may shock you, has an underlying relationship with the Roman Catholic Church. And its mystics of the past, 
and they were not ashamed of it, such as priests, Thomas Merton, maybe you've heard of him, Henry Nguyen, or Nguyen, depending on how you pronounce it. They were both Catholic, Roman Catholic priests who were mystics. Their material is more and more popular in the Protestant churches now. It's gaining, gaining more and more traction. People are getting more involved. In other words, here's what I'm saying. If these leaders that I mentioned who are modern leaders, if these leaders say it is a good thing, then people think, well, must be true. Because Rick Warren, I mean, look at how huge his church is. He must be telling, that's what people say today. Well, they must be doing something right because look at the size of their church. You know, Jesus was a total failure then, wasn't he? He sure didn't have many people for being the son of God going for three years of ministry. He had hardly any following at the time, at the time. By the way, some people will get upset with this, but I'm sorry, I'm I'm your friend. That's why I'm telling you. Those most heavily involved in this stuff today are the Pentecostal Charismatics and the Southern Baptists. The Southern Baptists are buying into this stuff like crazy. They're publishing this stuff. And your Pentecostals Charismatics are way deep in it. Not all of them, of course. Not all of them. I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm just saying a lot of them, though, are getting more and more involved. Pentecostals Charismatics have always had a weakness for this stuff because it has to do with the mystical. Another source said this, of late, there's Pope Francis. You ever heard of him? Surging ahead at an ecumenical and mystical speed that thrills the world's religions and has left traditional Catholicism in its wake, the Pope and his ecumenicism has many professing Christians flocking to Rome at his personal invitation. So he knows the people he can influence, and he's bringing them, he's inviting them to Rome, and they're going to Rome to meet the Pope. People such as Kenneth Copeland, prosperity gospel, absolutely a heretical false teacher. James Robison used to be a Southern Baptist. See the connection. He left the Southern Baptists, okay, and he went charismatic or Pentecostal. He has gone. He has been there to meet with the Pope. Rick Warren, Jeff Tunicliffe, I'm not sure who he is, John Arnott, or Arnaud, another Pentecostal. This one won't surprise you, Joel Osteen. He was smiling all the way. After meeting with the Pope, Joel Osteen said, and I quote, I like the fact that this Pope is trying to make the church larger, not smaller. He's not pushing people out. He's making the church more inclusive. Now, folks, listen, from the Pope's perspective is he's trying to get everybody back to have a one world church. That's what he's doing. It goes on. That resonated with me. That's what Osteen said. That resonated with me. Louis Palau, some of you have heard of Louis Palau. He just passed away recently has been a longtime friend of the Pope. And Timothy George wrote an article for Christianity Today titled, quote, Our Francis Too, Why We Can Enthusiastically Join Arms with the Catholic Leader, unquote. Are you kidding me? But you see, the involvement of all this stuff, 
It has that thread. It has that binding together, this false spirituality. See, because they've gotten rid of the standard, which is the Word of God. Let me tell you something, a little background about Pope Francis, okay? He is a Jesuit priest. You might say, what does that mean? I'll tell you in a minute. He is the first ever Jesuit priest to become Pope. During the Reformation, which broke away from Rome, that's what the Reformation was about, the Jesuits were formed to eradicate and undo the Reformation doctrine and people who stood against the Catholic Church. Their Jesuit priests were like the mafia of the Catholic Church. And by the way, they did some of the same kind of work. In other words, the Jesuits were to do away with the opposition. Are you connecting the dots? The Pope is trying to do away with the opposition. That's why he's inviting all these Pentecostals, charismatic, and new evangelicals to Rome and get them on his side. That way they're respected, quote-unquote, leaders, and they'll get people to follow them. And what's it going to do? It's trying to bring everybody back to Rome, which is where we know that the One World Church will be headquartered during the tribulation period. Again, Isaiah 8.20, folks, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Number four, it is dangerous because it is leading people into a one-world religion, an ecumenical belief system that is contrary to Scripture. It is a common glue for false religions today, this new contemplative theology, contemplative spirituality. Remember, the one-world religion of the tribulation period will be, you've heard me say it for decades, it is a mystical humanism, is what it is. It is a mystical humanism. This fits perfectly with that. Now, there's a group called the Center for Contemplative Spirituality. In other words, this is their website. They promote this. They teach this. They're all for it. They're 100%. They sum it up well. Now listen, and here's what they say, and I quote, We come from a variety of secular and religious backgrounds, and we each seek to enrich our journey through spiritual practice and study of the world's great spiritual traditions. We desire to draw closer to the loving spirit which pervades all creation and which inspires our compassion for all beings, unquote. That is evil to the core, okay? And all these people I'm telling you about, if they're promoting this contemplative theology or contemplative spirituality or the, the listening prayer or the contemplative prayer and all that, it's all, it's all connected. It's all connected. This emphasis on experiential knowledge attacks the authority of Scripture. It all leads to an acceptance of other religions having merit. You cannot come to that conclusion by reading the Bible. The Bible's very narrow. Paul said, if, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. These other religions do not believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By the way, let me say this as an observation. Looking at all those people that were mentioned, I find it ironic that in their experiences that they have with God through this contemplative spirituality, that the Lord isn't saying anything to any of them about how they teach a false gospel. If you were communing with God, I think he'd be letting you know that you, what you're teaching on the gospel is not right. 
But there's no word of that. Why? Because they're in error already. They're not getting what they're getting from their walk with God. Don't you think if they were getting revelation from God, it would support the message of the Bible? See, what they're getting contradicts Scripture. That tells you right there it's not true. Number five, it's dangerous because much of it is nothing more than Eastern religion and mysticism. I quote again from a website, contemplative prayer is no different than the meditative exercises used in Eastern religions and New Age cults. Its most vocal supporters embrace an open spirituality among adherents from all religions, promoting the idea that salvation is gained by many paths, even though Christ himself stated that salvation comes only through him. Where does it say that? John 14, verse 6. Look at it. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. See, folks, we need to do what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Not emptying your mind, It's getting your thoughts to where, okay, if it doesn't line up with the Lord, I don't want this thought. If it's not biblical, I don't want it. Now, let me just give you some concluding remarks to this series. There's a thread. Have you seen it? This entire series had one major thing in common. All of the Trojan horses we covered are false teachings that contradict the Bible. They subtly and not so subtly undermine the authority of Scripture. They go against the word of God. Let's close over in Acts chapter 4. You could possibly be here today, and I don't know if you're involved in any of this stuff, folks. Maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you're saying, man, my head is spinning. You've covered so many things today. Okay, try to forget it then for a moment and focus on what we're about to talk about. God wants you to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. You might say, can you know that? You can know that according to Scripture. Okay? You can know that. How? It's through what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for your sin. It says in Acts 4, verse 12, Peter said this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, referring to Jesus, given among men whereby we must be saved. That means it's not your name that saves you. You cannot be saved by good works, by faithful living. Some people say, well, you got to persevere to the end. That's the P in Calvinism. That's nothing more than works for salvation. You have to be faithful to the end of your life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath that moment everlasting life. You can know you're going to heaven. First John, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. Let me show you how. This is you and me, representing you and me, my wallet representing the things we do wrong, our sin. Here we are, the Bible says we're sinners. God loves us and he hates our sin. Why? It separates us from him. He wants us to live with him forever in heaven. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. And God says it's got to be paid for. If we pay for our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. No amount of good works take away sin. No amount of good works. You can live a faithful life. It'll never pay for one of your sins. Not a one. The wages of sin is death. See, we're not saved by works. Look at it up here. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing you could do could work that sin off. That is why Jesus came. He did not want us to go to hell. He loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And so Jesus took on flesh, this hand representing him, the sinless son of God. And when he died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He paid for all of our sin, not only what we've done, but what we'll do. He paid for it all. He was buried. He came back from the dead. And he says, if you will believe or put your faith in him, that he made that payment for you, the moment you do that, he gives you everlasting life. Your sins are forgiven. They're removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And all he's asking you to do is believe in him, trust in him that he did that for you. And if you do, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. For God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, would you do it today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.